Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Well, hello and welcome back to Riverside Online. It's great to have you back with us today. We're continuing our, our I Am series that we've been doing over the past few weeks. And today we find ourselves with the disciples on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus shared this Passover meal with them, this special meal that takes on a new intimacy, a new meaning. Jesus describing himself as the Passover lamb uh, going to die on a cross uh, to bring everyone back into relationship with the Father. His body and his blood will be shed and he's used the symbolism of the bread and the wine to describe this. And Judas has fled into the night having, having been uh, exposed as someone who will betray Jesus to the authorities. And Jesus, at this moment, tells his disciples he can be with them for only a little while longer. He says he's going to a place where they cannot come. And we can read all about that in John chapter 13. Well, Simon Peter guesses that Jesus is talking about his death and he says, Jesus, I will never leave you. I will follow you into death. But Jesus says, Peter, I'm sorry, but you're going to fall away too. You're going to deny me rather than risk your own life. Let's pick up the passage at the start of John 14 with the words of Jesus. He says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. So you may also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Have you ever been lost? Have you ever struggled to find your way? It's kind of hard to get lost these days uh, in a car or on foot because we have sat-navs on our phones. We have Google Maps We have all these wonderful devices we can use to guide us, whether we're walking or driving. We just plug the destination in, and it takes us exactly to where we should be going. It even tells how long it will take to get there. And it picks the best route. It deters us around traffic jams. Very, very useful. But occasionally, if you're like me, you've plugged your details into one of these apps, and you've started to walk, and the little blue arrow, which is supposed to tell you the direction you're supposed to follow, it starts to spin, it starts to get confused, it can't get a signal maybe because of high buildings or the place where you are has got poor phone signal. And I more than often find myself walking in the wrong direction and then having to turn around and walk back in another direction, wiggling my phone, trying to find the best way, trying to find the best route, hopelessly disorientated, trying to find my way to my destination. And Thomas, at this point in his interaction with Jesus, he seems very disorientated by Jesus' words. He doesn't know where Jesus is going. And how can he follow him? And to make matters worse, Jesus compounds this by saying, you know where I'm going. You know the way to where I'm going. And poor old Thomas hasn't got a clue. He hasn't got a clue. How can he follow Jesus to a place? He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And I think I'd be asking the same question as Thomas. I don't know the way, Lord. I don't know where you're going, so how can I follow you? And Jesus responds at that point with one of the most profound statements that we find in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
And in this statement, Jesus gives us three things. He gives us a direction. I am the way. He gives us a decision. I am the truth. And he gives us a duration. I am the life. Let's begin by looking at that first point. A direction. I am the way. Back in August 2018, we were invited to go to Poland to take part in a, a wedding with a family in the church. So we booked an Airbnb in a very picturesque location, actually up a mountain in a place called Svoboda. And uh, it looked beautiful, beautiful scenery, a beautiful place. And it was described as the highest house in the area, which looked interesting when we first read it. And when we uh, looked at the, uh, the bio and the brief, the owners recommended that we hire a car with good ground clearance. So I judiciously got onto a hire car company and I found a Volkswagen Tourag, which actually is a big, powerful SUV, good ground clearance. I thought, perfect for what we need for climbing the mountain to get to this Airbnb house. When I got to the hire car company at the airport, I was surprised to see a Toyota Corolla. Now, a Toyota Corolla is not a 4x4 and it's not known for its great ground clearance. And when I spoke to the hire car company, they said, well, this is the picture of what I hired and this is the car you've given me. They said, ah, well... If you look in the small print, you'll find we can provide any car that's similar to the one you've hired. And I think similarity ended at the fact that both cars have got four wheels. But that's that's where we ended up. We ended up with a Toyota Corolla in which we were going to climb a mountain to our Airbnb house. So I rang the guy. I rang the guy at the Airbnb and said, look, we've been given a Toyota Corolla. Can we make it up the mountain? He said, yes, you should be fine. You should be fine. A little nervous laugh in the background. But make sure you come up in the daylight. Make sure you come up while it's still light. So we drove off in good spirits to our restaurant to meet the rest of the people who had come to Poland for the wedding. We ate a lovely meal. The only problem was, by the time we came out of the restaurant, the sun was beginning to set. And so we quickly drove as fast as we could to where we thought the point started to climb the mountain. We put our details into Google Maps. It was guiding us along, along these roads. We're getting narrower and narrower. We thought, great, we're on target. Exactly, we're going to get to Airbnb before the sun goes down. But the roads got narrower and narrower and it got darker and darker. And we realised that Google Maps was struggling to take us to our destination. It kept wanting to double back and go different routes. In the end, we pulled over and we rang the owner of the Airbnb. He said, well, where are you? And we gave him our best estimate of where we were according to the map. He said, ah, remember, I told you, you can't get to our house from that side of the mountain. At that point, we remembered those great instructions. We went, ah, Okay, we'll see you soon. And so, poor old Google Maps was trying to take us to a place we could never go, in a, particularly in a Toyota Corolla. So he turned around, we headed back in the opposite direction, we found the base of the mountain road, and then in total darkness, we began to climb the mountain in this beautiful, hired Toyota Corolla. Many hairpins, many wheel spins, many disturbing clunks and bangs from underneath the car, but we got arrived at the Airbnb on top of this mountain in darkness with our hosts waiting to meet us. Well, the trusty Toyota Corolla took us up and down that mountain many more times, always in the light, and we returned it back to the hire car company undamaged. So it's a good story. But we learned our lesson that some places, some trips, can only be reached by specific directions to them. You may have heard a phrase that's sometimes used, all roads lead to Rome. And it originated in the Middle Ages, we think probably because Rome, the Roman Empire was famous for its engineering prowess, building roads wherever it went, connecting places back to the capital to enable transport to happen easily. 
And the original phrase was probably a thousand roads lead a man forever towards Rome. And it's been shortened back to that very small statement, all roads lead to Rome. And we now use it to say there are many ways to reach the same destination. People often apply all roads lead to Rome when they think about a connection with God. It's interesting when Jesus said, I am the way, the word there means road. So literally what Jesus was saying, I am the road to God. And rather than Jesus saying there are many roads to God, he said, I am the one road to God. I am the road you need to be on if you want to connect with your heavenly father. And just like that Airbnb in Poland, there was only one road up to that house and the same road down. There wasn't multiple roads that we could use to have got there. And one of the things we have to decide today, and we hear Jesus' words, is do we want to be on that road that Jesus described that takes us into relationship and connection with God? Let's look at the second part of Jesus' statement. A decision. I am the truth. Over the summer, somehow I got chatting to one of my sons about rockets and space travel. And we knew that rockets were big, but we didn't quite know why they were so big. And so we started to do some research on the internet, as you do, and we started looking at something called escape velocity. Now, escape velocity, it turns out every planet or sun has got what's called escape velocity. And this is the speed you need to be going to break free from the gravity of that particular object. And the bigger the object, the faster you need to go. And if you want to break free from Earth's gravity, you need to be travelling at the astonishing speed of 7 miles per second, or 25,000 miles an hour, to break free from the pull of the gravity that keeps us on the Earth. If you happen to be standing on the sun, which is tricky, I know, and you wanted to break free from its gravity, you'd have to be travelling at 13,000... Sorry, I'll get this right. 1381... What is that? Nearly a million miles an hour to break free from the gravity of the sun because the sun is such a huge object and generates so much pull. The moon is a doddle in comparison only just over 5,000 miles an hour to break free from the moon's gravity because it's a small object compared to the Earth. And this is what makes exploring planets so tricky. You've got to have enough energy and fuel to break free from Earth's gravity. And then when you land on your new planet, you've got to have enough fuel and energy to break free from that planet's gravity to come back to where you went from. And that's what makes the moon so attractive for exploration in space because it's an easy place to take off from. The more mass something has the harder it is to break free from the gravity. And we all know this from staying at a large family piece of chocolate, don't we? The more mass it has, it's harder to break free from it. The most powerful rocket ever built was Saturn V, and it was used to get the astronauts to space in the 1960s and 70s. And I couldn't miss an opportunity to show you a quick video of the most powerful machine that mankind has ever built. Ten, nine, ignition sequence start. Six, five...
think you'll agree that's incredible footage of uh, Saturn V, that extraordinary machine uh, that took men into space. What's even more amazing is that it's only 64 years since the Wright brothers took their first pair of flight. That Saturn V launched in 1967, the first pair of flight being about 1903. So the advances in technology are extraordinary. So far, only 24 humans in history have broken free from the Earth's gravity and achieved escape velocity. And I think you can see why, given the power uh, of something like Saturn V that's needed to do that. Why all this talk of space and space rockets and space travel? Well, the escape velocity of the Earth is a truth. Whether you choose to believe it or not, it doesn't matter. It is true. It is fact. Our friend Lukash has just passed his commercial uh, pilot's license. Congratulations, Lukash. Fantastic job. Well done to you. If you came to me one day and said, Simon, I've hired a really powerful plane and I'm going to take you into space. The first question I would have to ask, to ask him is, well, two questions, where do you get the plane from? And secondly, can that plane travel at 25,000 miles an hour? Because if it can't, then we're not going to get into space, Lukash. All we're going to do is maybe get as high as we can and fall back to Earth or we'll end up in orbit around the Earth, but we're not going to get into space if that plane can't achieve escape velocity. And it wouldn't matter how passionate he was, how committed he was, how well he flew the plane, how well he knew the plane. If that plane couldn't achieve escape velocity, we wouldn't be going to space. And our postmodern culture is often described as a culture without absolute truths. Truth has become something that's described now as relative. What's true for you is not necessarily true for me. But Jesus confronts this culture with a statement that says, I am the truth. Jesus doesn't say he is a truth. He doesn't say what I'm saying is true. In fact, the way the sense is constructed, he says, I am truth. I am truth. And so he gives a baseline for all truth. He points to himself and says, I am truth. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul has a revelation of Jesus' truth. And he sees how Jesus, in every part of creation, in every aspect of the cosmos, he says this, he writes about Jesus. He's in all things. All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He's before all things and in all things, I'm sorry, and in him all things hold together. That's in Colossians 1. And the truth of escape velocity is that it exists as truth. And that truth began in Jesus. Jesus is in all things. He's in all parts of creation, physics, chemistry, rocket science. Jesus is in all of that. He is the truth at the essence, the, the centre of all other truth. Paul's revelation here by the Holy Spirit in Colossians tells that Jesus is the starting point for truth. And Jesus' truth is like no other truth you encounter in life because all truth originates in him. Let's look at the third part of his statement now. He says, I am the life. I am the life. A duration. Psalm 34 poses this question. Who among you delights in life? Many people, when asked, they would want a happy life. They would want a life with good circumstances, good things that would make them happy and content. I'm reading an interesting book at the moment called Finding Happiness. And in it, I'm hoping to learn from some of the uh, ancient monastic traditions that point to leading a fulfilled and contented life. 
And the author of the book is a guy called Abbot Christopher Jameson. He has some great reflections on, on living a life this way. He tells us the word happy in its origins goes back to luck. The Latin word for happy is Felix, which also means lucky. Even further back, the word Felix in the Greek is linked to the word meaning fertile. So in the ancient world, if you had lands that were fertile and produced a good crop, you were described as lucky, you were described as Felix, because uh, you, you, you had good lands, you were lucky to have those lands, and they were hopefully going to provide a good crop and a good life for you. And it was your luck that made you happy. And happiness seems to have always been linked to luck in terms of, of word origins. Uh, in the English language, our word happy has a, a link back to a word called hap, an, an old English word. And we still find that word in, in, in things like perhaps or happenstance, something that just randomly occurs. And all these words kind of say that happiness is linked to the unpredictability of life. Happiness comes along in the roll of a dice. Some people get it, some people don't. And if you want to be a happy person in life, you need to be a lucky person. When Jesus declared, I am the life, the word he used there means breath or spirit. And what Jesus was alluding to when he said that was, life is much more than the physical. Actually, true life is spiritual. And all the stuff that we touch and feel, our flesh, our blood, the stuff around us, the physical stuff, that only takes us so far to understand what life is all about. And Jesus said life is much more than that. It's actually true life, real life. It's spiritual life. And I think we all agree that we all feel like we're part of a continuum. We feel like life shouldn't start and stop with the physical part of life. We feel like life should carry on. We feel like we should carry on beyond the limits of our physical being. The scientist Brian Cox said this is because we're all made of energy and we only borrow energy from the cosmos and when we die we give it back again. And because energy is constant, the energy comes and the energy goes, but we we pass, but the energy stays constant. Energy is the thing that remains, we don't. And much as I hugely respect Brian Cox and the physics that goes behind what he says, I also have to respect the words of Jesus. Jesus didn't surrender any borrowed energy back to the cosmos when he died. In fact, he retained who he was and he rose again three days later. And he promised that anybody who believed in him and trusted him would do the same. They would experience a life beyond death. They would experience resurrection life. He told us a place exists beyond death. He describes it as his father's house. And he says in that house there are many rooms, many rooms, And he prepares a place, a specific place for every person in that room, in that house. A place of eternal love. Jesus described real life as spirit. And the flesh, he said, actually counts for nothing in the end. It counts for nothing compared to the spiritual life. So life is a duration that doesn't end in our physical death. Jesus showed us that and he promised us the same if we believe and trust in him. Because his breath is in us, we have spiritual life. We're spiritual beings. Life is much more than the physical. So happiness and contentment and true fulfillment isn't found in luck or happenstance or circumstance. It's found in knowing that we're actually eternal beings, spiritual beings, 
who live and go beyond our physical lives. We have this, this incredible duration. Someone once said, we don't live for the dot, we live for the line of eternity. And because Jesus' breath is within us, we will live for eternity. So Jesus has given us a direction, he's given us a decision, and he's given us a duration in this statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now he gives us this defining detail. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And this is a very emphatic statement by Jesus, and I think we can read it and interpret it in one of two ways. The first way is that Jesus is describing himself as some kind of divine doorman standing at God's front door. And the only people who can get into God's front door and experience God's love are people who kind of, their names are on the list. He's the one who's going to say, yes, you're in, no, you're not. Well, the second way to understand Jesus' words here is actually to, to believe that he is present every time someone comes to experience the Father's love. The first, the issue we have with the first interpretation is that it may lead us into thinking that God's not fair. God can only have a relationship with people who come to church or have got access to Christian literature or have heard someone preach the gospel or they've read a tract or they have to go through certain prayer or religious steps. And that leaves us thinking about all those people who have no access to church, those people who have no access to literature, those people who can't read, those people who have limited availability to the sort of thing we take for granted every day. There might be people who can't understand a Christian apologetic. They can't understand the gospel steps we want to describe to them. What happens to them? Are they automatically excluded from the Father's love? The second interpretation of what Jesus says doesn't leave us with that same conundrum. If Jesus is present by his Spirit everywhere, then anyone can come to the Father through him. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus described himself as someone who reveals the Father. And the, the imagery there is someone who takes the lid off or takes the cover off and says, look, here's God. Here's the loving God who wants to be in relationship with you. And he goes on in this passage in John 14. He tells his disciples, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And again, there's this, there's this idea of revelation through Jesus to the Father's love. And because Jesus is present everywhere by his Spirit, he can be at work revealing the Father's love to anyone at any time in any place. And that might be in a church service, it might be on a bus, it might be in a jungle, it might be in a dream, it might be in a bedroom, as happened to me, it might be on a Damascus road, like it happened to Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul. Jesus can choose to reveal the Father's love to anyone, at any time, in any place, by any means. So I don't see Jesus standing at the door of the Father's house, checking tickets, I see him active by his spirit, a face of the whole earth, going around, revealing the Father's love, saying, come look, look at how much God loves you, how much God wants to be in relationship with you, inviting people into that love. So Jesus is the way. He's our direction. He's the road on which we travel. Jesus is the truth. He's the decision that we choose to make, and a decision we choose to make and keep making every day of our lives as we trust in him. And Jesus is the life. He's with us for the duration of our physical lives and his life in us takes us on into eternity. His life 
fills our lungs, brings us fullness of life that goes beyond our circumstances. And his enabling presence is the only thing we need to achieve the escape velocity, to break free of the things that hold us back, break free from the gravity of lives turned inwards, turned against God and turned against others. Jesus breaks us free from the gravity of that sin. The Apostle Paul describes it in this way in Romans 7, reading from the Message Version. He says, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right. Maybe you feel at the end of your rope today. Maybe you've tried all sorts of different things to break free from the gravity of the things that hold you back. Maybe your life doesn't feel fulfilling. You you struggle to find contentment or meaning in what you do or what you feel. Maybe you've tried to find your way up your mountain only to find it's that actually there's no way up this way. Jesus says, come to the Father through me. There's no other way. Come to the Father through me. Let me enable you to come to the Father. He says, I've been through death so you don't have to. I've been to a place you couldn't go. But now by my spirit, I'm inviting you into the Father's love. I'm lifting the cover off to reveal the Father to you. If you believe in me and you trust in me and you come on the road I offer, I will journey with you into eternal life. And I'll take you to a place in the Father's house that I've prepared specifically for you. There's no greater revelation of God that can be found and can be found in Jesus Christ. He is, he is the ultimate expression of who God is. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And today, if you had any glimpse of Jesus in your life, I invite you to take those words of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and take them into your spirit this morning. I want to invite you onto that road that Jesus offered I want to invite you into that decision to say, yes, Jesus, I believe you are true. I believe you speak truth. I believe you are truth. And I want to encourage you to let his life fill your lungs and fill your life today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your powerful words. We thank you for your presence with us today. And God, I pray as we've looked again at what you've said, God, that your words, not my words, God, would penetrate hearts today the way you described yourself, the most powerful statements ever spoken on this earth. God, let those words go deep into our hearts today, we pray. Help us to open ourselves to you as you reveal God the Father to us again. Come by your spirit, God. Fill us, change us. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.